Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as Shuggy Two Shits. Shuggy. Coming to you from a bunker in the country, not too dissimilar from the bunker used by Hitler to get away from the very terrible trials and tribulations of World War II. Here, Rob, swallow this capsule. It will make you feel better. <laughs> World War II jokes. I love them. Um, by the way, uh, if you hear uh, a rainstorm outside uh, in the microphones, it's because we're not outside, but there is a rainstorm outside. And it's, it's battering, battering the, the building we're working in. The shed? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh geez, There's, here comes some thunder. Here comes some thunder. Yeah, we're about ten minutes before we were ready to start the show. Uh, the big rainstorm uh, came upon us, and it says it's going to last all night, which means we have no reprieve from it during the show. So you're going to have to live with it, just like we have to live with it. We have to live with it. We're the ones in danger. We could get killed here doing the show. For I don't people. want to live with it. I want to just die and avoid it. Wow, that's a bummer. So anyways, <laughs> bumming everybody out. Wish I was dead. So uh, now on today's show, we are going to continue with our Golden Throats theme in which actors decided it would be a good idea to sing and make an album or two or three or whatever. And they decided this or their record company decided this sometimes all the time. It was a bad idea. <laughs> so today <laughs> I can't remember a good idea you know what it was a good album and I'll, I'll bring this up later on but seriously an album that I have heard that was actually uh, pretty good was Clint Eastwood's album that he made in the early 60s when he was on Rawhide was actually a really good album uh, not really good a good album he sang good and uh, we would, but we can't review that album because it was in the 60s Wasn't he but it was one of the few on albums that he did good in the movie Paint Your Wagon and he did the uh, was on the soundtrack of Paint Your Wagon Paint Your Wagon is known as one of the biggest fiascos in Hollywood history <laughs> so maybe we won't talk about that but he did a very good job on his album it's on the streaming services so if you want to hear it uh, click on Clint Eastwood's one and only album it's really good actually he's not a bad singer Today, we spotlight actor David Sewell from Starsky and Hutch. He's the blonde one on the show, not the dark-haired one, and not the one they called Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear. And not Captain Dobie, who was a black man like Huggy Bear, but he was the boss of Starsky and Hutch, and he was mad all the time. <laughs> he was... He was like, they'd come in and say, we're, we're coming in for work today. And he'd go, what the hell? <laughs> I told you guys ten times, and I told you one more time. <laughs> I told you one there, more time. <laughs> there were a lot of shouting uh, TV police captains, but he was the first. <laughs> and if you're confusing Captain Doby with Huggy Bear, don't. Because Huggy Bear was not their boss. He was, what would you, what would you consider Huggy Bear? He was a streetwise, knowledgeable, uh, a rat. He was a rat. <laughs> he was a rat. Whenever, whenever Starsky or Hutch or the both of them needed information, a Huggy Bear always could get it because he was a rat. <laughs> he was a rat. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, go on. You had the one difference I've noticed between Starsky and Hutch and uh, someone like Columbo. Whereas uh, Columbo would uh, use his mind to solve crimes. Starsky and Hutch, they'd uh, act on hunches and intimidation. And their car. And their car. <laughs> Red Grand Torino with a white stripe. I'm pretty sure it was a Grand Torino. Yeah. We had a Grand Torino uh, in our city when we were growing up. We yeah. actually did. Everybody at school talked about it. Sometimes it would even pass our school as we were talking about it. And everybody, it all the kids were like excited. Oh my God, we have one of the Starsky and Hutch, Starsky and Hutch car. <laughs> the car. I seem to recall they had a bunch of different themes, but they only had one Starsky and Hutch car. Yeah, it was very hard. Like just because it was like the car at that time when the show was on, doesn't mean that they made a lot. They actually almost didn't make any because of that, because they didn't want a whole bunch of Starsky and Hutch vehicles out there. And somehow this guy got them to make, you know, to paint it all up. And we all talked about it. And every once in a while you'd see it. And you go, that guy, he's so cool. Maybe he was a pedophile. We don't know. <laughs> but he had this Starsky and Hutch car, so it was cool. Uh, never saw his face. No. Never saw his face. Don't, don't Only know saw the car. Always saw the car. 
Oh, that was scintillating. Anyways, uh, David Soul has released about four albums in his career uh, so far, and we are focusing on his first self-titled album, released in 1976. Uh, I was going to review the Paul Michael Glazier album, Starsky Sings. <laughs> Get out of town. And then I realized You're, there was no such yeah, album. Yeah, I thought, I, I, I thought I, you were pulling my shirt. I just wanted it to be so. That would be cool <laughs> if he had an album and he called it Starsky's. I'll show that David Soul. <laughs> I know I can't sing, but neither can he. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is the part of the show. I, I love this part of the show. It's it's the part of the show people hate the most. They hate it. But it's the part Unless of the show. They love gardening. <laughs> they can turn it <laughs> they right love away. It less. <laughs> I love this part of the show because I can get a drink of water and kind of recuperate for a few seconds. This is the part of the show where uh, everyone is dying to know how Rob's week was, and I'm dying for some water. I seem to recall there was a lot of working and a lot of sleeping and uh, a lot of avoiding thinking about working and sleeping. And then after I was done the working and sleeping, there was just a little bit more of that. But it was different this time. It was almost like uh, it was different in, in an indescribable way. Now, I'm going to attempt to describe it. Brown. Oh, you just... You just kill the audience. Like, I give you a chance. I'm giving you, this is the second week in a row that I've given you a chance to expound and see if you say anything, anything that's interesting, and you never do. Nothing. No. You got to have something to bounce on. You write what you know. You know what I know? I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, at least I get my drink of water. So. <laughs> not a complete loss. <laughs> so it's odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. Now, last week, Rob, you remember this. I remember we were talking about something last week. <laughs> I put him on the spot by not telling him what we said. Now, whoa, that's a big that's a big thunder crack right there. Boom. Now, last week, I told our listeners how exhausted we were. Man, that was a big thunder crack. It's yeah. still reverberating around the uh, shed. And there's more yeah. coming. I told our listeners how we, we were exhausted, which we were, because we had overbooked ourselves that week. Oh, yeah. And we had really overbooked ourselves that week. And we were running on fumes. But today, we are feeling energized, especially with the thunderstorm mm. outside. And we are ready to rock and roll all night and party every day. Every day. But the sad news, and there is some sad news this week, Boom. as Rob knows. Yeah, as I know. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> is uh, my hand that I injured in last week's band practice has not completely healed. Still sore, but it is on the mend. It's much better than last week, but it's not completely healed. Not completely healed. It no. Was a, it was a cording injury. It was a what? A cording Yeah, injury. I was trying to make a cord and I was trying to really stretch it. No. And it kind of bent my whole uh, hand back and... Uh, it's still like I can do this. You guys can't see it, but I can do this. But he can't. He can't do this. <laughs> but I can't do that. And uh, so it, it's hopefully by next week we practice next week. I hope that it's a hundred percent, or else uh, our guitar player, who is our producer, Uptown Mike, which means he's he's just as incompetent on guitar oh. as he was as our producer, will have to carry the load. He'll be carrying the load, and what a load it will be. <laughs> <laughs> a little crap. Uh, he's, he's kind of good with a few chords. Uh, but he kind of too many of them, and he gets all jumbled up inside his. Let's head. just say we don't want him to be the sole guitar player of the uh, rehearsal. Yeah, he's uh, good for for some stuff. Okay. So, uh, Rob, you know what? Bringing up uh, injuries and stuff like that. Whatever, whatever happened to that procedure you were supposed to have done on your non-functioning testicle? You know, I went in the doctor a couple of times and they said, uh, sent me away saying uh, I would be receiving a phone call to um, um, get further medical attention and nobody's called me. You had nothing so far. Nothing. I'm that was a long time there. ago that you were supposed to get that. Was that op- no, I don't know if it was an operation, but it was a procedure done. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Haven't heard from since and I'm just getting the level of medical service I've come to expect. Well, as long as your ball's hanging on, that's all that counts. And if, it, and if it falls off, then the procedure's done. <laughs> it's, it's not hurting, but it's a little uh, discomforting. Yeah. Gimpy, I guess is the word. It's a little gimpy. Okay, well, I'll go with that. You don't know what gimpy means, do you? And having no clear definition of the word, <laughs> it makes it easier to agree with. 
Well, you know, that was that was a scintillating incident, wasn't it? <laughs> Telling everybody about our aches and pains. That's okay. uh, <laughs> Under the album and then drinking time. <laughs> That's what everybody wants to know on our show. How are we doing? <laughs> What's hurting us this week? Okay, so today and next week, we will be doing the last two songs in my top 30 songs of all time. We will be ending this top 30 songs of all time that we started, I don't know, six years ago? <laughs> yeah. It seems like a long time. I'm not saying it wasn't pleasurable, but it just seems like we started it forever. <laughs> it's just it's gone on and on. Anyways, these are songs. See, and this is the reason that, this is the only reason I dislike doing this segment is yeah. because I got to repeat this little bit of a disclaimer Every time. This is the second last time I have to do it. These are songs that, in my view, are brilliant, magical, timeless, and brilliant again. That's okay. brilliant. It's twice brilliant. And these are the songs you would like, you would, I, would, I would take with me on a desert island if I could only take 30 songs. This week's song, our second last one is and by the way these last two songs they're good would probably be my favorite songs of all time i think yeah for sure these are my these songs none of these songs were really in order but these i specifically made sure that these last two songs kind of were in order i don't know if this is my this song and the song next week are just tied for my favorite song it, it used to be this song and then and then which is wider shade of pale by english band Procol harem Harm, whatever you want to say it. And um, for a long time, that was my favorite song of all time. I could listen to it all the time. And then I heard this other song, and which you will hear next week. And they're tied. I can't choose. I can't choose, Rob. Don't make me. I'm not going to. No, you said you were going to make me before the show. And I said I, said I can't. Now I got to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, this song... Every time, and this is like one of the most strangest songs that you could have on the top forty. Not only a top forty song, but like a number, like a number five song uh, to be on the radio because you think the lyrics make sense, but they don't. <laughs> but that's the great part of it is because you can make your own mind about what it means because it's in a minor key and. It brings a mood. Well, the most important song, the part, part about this is, of course, the organ part, which was written by Matthew Fisher. And it took him like 40 years to finally get credit for that part. I still don't know whether he deserves to get credit for that part. As a songwriter, uh, you're only supposed to uh, legally have to write the words on the music, words which Gary words. Brooker did. Yep. And Keith Reed wrote the, wrote the words. And uh, anything that you add to that isn't technically uh, part of writing a song. The original composition. Right. So, so uh, I'm on the fence on this one. I know I should be talking about the song as a, as a huge musical composition. But I also want to talk about this because this is a, a contentious issue for someone like me who writes a lot of songs. In that even though legally... At the time, he did actually, Matthew Fisher actually did win his lawsuit and his his name now is on the song he gets royalties. I disagree with that, but I morally think it's right because it's such an integral part of the song that I think even though legally he at the time he didn't really have a leg to stand on, um, I think Gary Brooker and Keith Reed should have given him a co-writing credit. Uh, so it's like, was he legally in the right? No, because anything you contribute as a band is not writing the song. But it was so integral to the song, I think they should have given him a co-writing credit. Does that clear things up? This song probably would have been a dud without him. Yes, I think it would have been. Yes, I, I totally agree. The, the two things that are memorable about this song are uh, what I was going to mention before was the organ part. And I think just the, just the, I'm trying to find the right words, the, the, the mood of this song, the total mood of this song, even though it has great lyrics, the lyrics don't really tell a story. Uh, they're more like uh, 
little captions. And if you kind of put them together, you can make your own little story. That's what's fantastic about these lyrics. But it's the mood. You almost know what they're saying just because of the mood of what Gary Brooker is singing. And plus the vocals, like on Gary Brooker singing every song on Procol Harum is... He's one of my favorite vocalists. He just sings the hell out of everything. And um, now this song is, it debuted as a record on May 12th, 1967, one day away from my birthday. Why those bad <laughs> Silence. Uh, the single reached number one in the UK singles chart on June 8th of 1967. It stayed there for six weeks. And without almost any promotion, which is amazing, it reached number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. It was one of the anthems of, of 1967, The Summer of Love. It is one of the most commercially successful singles in music history, having sold more than 10 million copies worldwide. In the years since A Whiter Shade of Pale has become an enduring classic, with there has been more than 1,000 known cover versions by the artists. That's staggering. That's staggering. This is, and none of that affected me because I, I just found this up this week when I was uh, doing, doing the background. The yeah, doing that. Uh, so I, I, I just never knew. I just, there was something about this record when I first heard it as like a 12-year-old kid and I said, it's like gothic. It's like, it's heady. Because it has like Vestal Virgins and stuff that at the time I had to do nothing about. But I could imagine what that was. And all this stuff and going to the coast and all that stuff. And it all sounds so sad. Yeah, but it, all, it sounds like an ending. Somehow. It does. But what is ending? Exactly, Rob, you're exactly right. It sounds like a farewell. It sounds like almost going to your doom or something. And yet, this song um, is is and was hugely popular against all convention of really like you know how a song should be on a top 40 uh, of course like i said it was written by uh gary brooker and matthew and matthew fisher see it's already been uh -huh. changed while the lyrics are written by keith reed uh it, very interesting paul mccartney once said and this is already when i thought of this was my favorite song of all time he said that this was his favorite song of all time and i, I like i said I had already determined it was my favorite, so I didn't steal that from him. I didn't say, Paul McCartney thinks it's his favorite song, so it's mine. No, uh, Paul McCartney <laughs> stole it from you, man. Oh, and, and, and God Only Knows, too, by Paul McCartney. He, he views this uh, uh, also his, oh, yeah. right up there as his favorite song. Rolling Stone placed this song 57th on the list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. I think it should be one or two, as you can obviously know yep. by what I've said so far. 57. Uh, <laughs> hacks. Um, there's a great version. Uh, and I think we're going to cover this album because I really love this album. And it, by the sax player King Curtis, just before he died in 1971, he used to open up concerts for Aretha Franklin. And he opened up a concert in Fillmore West or East, I can't remember. But he does an instrumental version of A Whiter Shade of Pale on one of his last albums, if not his last album before he unfortunately passed away in 1971. That is just make you cry. It's just beautiful. Without the words. It's all it's all played, the melody is all played on saxophone, but it's so it it, it just encapsulates the song and you know exactly what it's all about without hearing the words. And how better can you get like that? That's how powerful this song is to me. I'm not going to get into too much about because it's based on like uh, first the, the I'm not going to talk about the lyrics because I don't want to ruin it for everybody and I find that when I read about what some of the lyrics meant it kind of I kind of like my own version yeah of it a, takes you the meaning yeah, you came up with I don't want to hear about the the uh, the very uh, uh, what word am I looking for very academic because, you know, Keith Reed was very academic and he was very, like most lyricists who just write lyrics for a band. He, he was... Uh, he was a wordy thing. He was guy. a wordy guy who read a lot of books and knew all the authors. 
And it gets into a lot of, oh, this was based on Chaucer's this, and this was based, this line was based on that. It kind of took it away from me a little bit, and I had to stop reading about it. And I had to say, no, let's, I'm just going to take my own view of it. I don't want to know how what specific line was taken from what and what it meant. Uh, but I will say that the that the opening was based on uh, Bach, uh, the opening uh, Matthew Fisher uh, organ part. I think... I actually have heard this. It's the air on the G string. I actually have heard this, and I just heard it recently, six months ago maybe. It was on one of those easy uh, listening stations that I listen to when I'm writing the shows, and I just want something in the background that won't disturb me and, and but will soothe me. And Rob knows that I play this all the time on satellite radio uh, to kind of like... I need something on, but I don't need anything that makes me think. So I, I just have yeah. instrumental music, and they played. I, they played this, and I was wondering, "Fuck, that sounds like a wider shade of pale." This sounds like a real good cover version of a wider shade of pale, but it's a little bit different. And when I looked for the song, it was a box uh, orchestral suite number three called "The Air on the String" and uh, "Air on the G String," and very similar but different. They they changed it around, but anyways. Listen for that, uh, oh. you people. Uh, you people. Uh, put it, put it on uh, YouTube and just listen to it. And it, it's a, it, it alone is a beautiful piece of music. Let alone which morphed into a wider shade of pale. There is a lot to talk about this uh, academic wise, which I won't get into because I'm more talking about the gut level of the yeah, song. What it is for you is what it is for you. Exactly. What it is for me. A great drumming, by the way. Um, Usually the drummer, and B.J. Wilson is usually, B.J. Wilson has been the drummer from Pocal Harem from the start until he unfortunately passed away in the 90s. And But he actually didn't play drums on this. The drums were played by Bill Iden, a session musician, which is great drums. It's just, oh, great drums. Completed in two takes with no overdubbing. And, uh, why does she get a pail on two takes? Okay, <laughs> Wow. Uh, I'm going to go to some of the um, the words because I think the words of this song just enthralled me as 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 a kid and still do. I listen to this song. This song is played a lot on the radio. I don't listen to it all the time because I don't want to get sick of it. But every time I listen to it, I get that same effect. And it just, when I really am intense in it, it just... Oh, just devastates me, Rob. It just like it overwhelms. Uh, it does overwhelm me, and not too much music constantly overwhelms me by constant exposure. But this one does. Next week's song does also. God only knows by the Beach Boys does. There are just songs that no matter how many times you listen to it, it's like, holy smokes! How how does everything come together so perfectly? Yeah, but look at the number of songs there are in existence, and how many of them are that good. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. A zillion, one, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I and of course it, it begins with such a great line. What a great way to start the song, which was we skip the light fandango, which I don't know what that means, but I love it, and I have my own version of what skip the light fandango means. Uh, turning cartwheels across the floor. This is this is poetry put to a very moody, almost baroque uh, rock song. Uh, I was feeling kind of seasick, and then the crowd called out for more. You're starting to get the feeling of the song, the mood of the song. It's not pleasant. It's very like already you get the word seasick. Yeah, I'm starting to get the and rolling measure, across uh, the floor. Yeah, an entertainer that uh, yeah, yeah. right. The room was yeah. The room was uh, humming harder as the ceiling flew away. You're starting to get this isn't cheerful, but it's not intensely morbid either. It's just. It's just a downcast type of feeling of this song. And when we called out for another drink, the waiter brought a tray. So you know that evening's not going good if, if you know if you're drinking a whole bunch. But there's no real um, tale being yeah, told. Yeah, you, you know still what I mean? have no cause for this effect. Right. There, you don't know what happened before. You're even befuddled about what's happening now. But you get the feeling. The mood is sometimes just as important as what the actual words are saying. And then uh, as we skip ahead a little bit, and then she goes, uh, she said there is no reason. And you have to remember, it goes, she said, and then in quotations, there is no reason. 
And I love that. And the truth is plain to see. But I wonder through my playing cards, would not let her be. I just, that's, I could never think of writing that in a hundred years. And yet it just makes so much sense. And yet it doesn't. And, and then it has the, the one that I just think one of the, one of the best uh, stanzas of, of, of lyrics written on any song. When it gets near the end of the second uh, verse, when he says, uh, one of 16 Vestal versions, versions who were leaving for the coast. That, that reminds me of just where you're living is so bad. We're going to the coast because things are just rotten here. Again, this feeling of dread through the song. And although my eyes were open, they might have just as well have been closed. And God, I wish I would have wrote. I wish I would have wrote this. Maybe not this song, because this song, as a musician, is not my type of song to actually perform. But I wish I would have wrote these lyrics. These lyrics are just. This and next week's song have lyrics that do not get any better, <laughs> or very few songs get any better than that. And and then it has, of course, the last thing, which is the chorus, which is just as powerful as. Uh, and so it was that later. As the miller told his tale, that her face at first just goes, this is such a fucking great line. <laughs> I just, every time I read it, and I swear to God, people, I've listened to this 50 years now almost, close to 50 years, and I'm still astonished by the words, by the music, like 50 years of listening to this song. As the miller told his tale, that her face at first just ghostly turned a whiter shade of pale. That is one of the saddest lines and stands as I've ever heard. It's just like, it was first she was ghostly looking and now she's worse. And it's like, and that's our hit single. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ends when it fades out when he's singing again, which doesn't usually happen because usually you fade out after you sing a couple of choruses, but then it goes back uh, just one more time to the chorus and then as soon as he begins it it starts to fade it out it fades out and yeah. that struck me even as a kid not knowing all that yeah. much about music <laughs> there's more what, what there should be more what are you gonna say yeah and I like that it was like that's one of the things I always remember is that oh you think he's gonna sing it again but no it starts to fade right as soon as he starts to sing it pretty fucking cool uh, I love this song. There's nothing about this song. It, it, it's, it's the lyrics. It's, it's Gary Brooker singing. It's uh, Matthew Fisher's organ part, which is one of the, which is one of the great licks I think in, in rock and roll history, if not music history. Um, it's just one of the all-time great singles, and it is one of my two favorite songs of all time. I, I just think that uh, everything came together. Uh, for this song, like very few songs come together perfectly. Everything is perfect. Yeah, individually, I think all this stuff might not have worked, but uh, somehow it was the, the exact right mix of ingredients. It's amazing how it's almost like songs are meant at times to be perfect because it has to have this, it has to have that, and somehow it has everything that it needs. It, it has the right drums playing. And I mean little things. I don't mean, oh, yeah, you take the, you take the or as we were talking about, you take the organ out and it's not the same song. Of course not. But we're talking about, like, having that one line about the Vestal Virgin. Just even that, that four lines there at the end um, about the virgins and going home and going to the coast and, and you know, I, I've pretty much given up. Like... You take that out and even maybe even change a couple of words and it's not as strong as it is. It's almost like it's meant to be like divine forces mean some of these songs to be as perfect as it is. I don't know, but I don't know how these songs get to be so perfect. It happens rarely and uh, you need the perfect songs to define the imperfect songs. Right. Which we'll get to later. <laughs> 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 Plenty of time for imperfect songs. In fact, and later is no right now. <laughs> later is right Let's now. Let's do it. The album we are reviewing this week <laughs> is the self-titled debut album by actor David Soul, released in 1976. Now, before we get to, to all of that, uh, I just want to say that 
this album is confusing because yeah. there's like three different versions of this album. And I did not know that uh, not being a... Uh, I'm a David Soul fan as an actor. I don't know anything except for his hit single, Don't Give Up On Us. I know absolutely nothing about his music career. So uh, this would be something that I would know of, of, of most artists, but not singers who are... Or not actors who are singers. Now, at first it was released... And this was a... I have to say this because it's a really strange thing to do. Even in the late 70s, the only person I know who would release singles from albums, singles that weren't on albums by the mid to late 70s was Paul McCartney. He was about the only person I knew who at that time was still doing it. Now, for some reason, for for David Soul's first three albums, there was always a single that wasn't from the album. So he released this album as it is, as the uh, 11 song album. And then he released Don't Give Up On Us as just a single. And the single, of course, uh, in 1977, which was about a year after this, uh, became just, it went through the roof. I remember when it was released. That's when I started listening to music seriously. It was on the radio all the time. I liked it. Um, And then they added this song to the album on the second pressing and took off the song One More Mountain to Climb, which is, uh, if anybody, I've been singing this <laughs> to Rob 10 minutes before we were doing the show over and over again, by Dr. Music, whose Canadian band called Dr. Music had a hit with One More Mountain to Climb, which is funny because I did listen to this song, even though it's not on the album anymore, I listened to it on YouTube because I wanted to know well, what song did they take off this album? It's actually one of the best songs on this album. And they took it off. It's the only rock and roll song on this album. And they decided to take it. It's actually written by Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka, Howard yeah. Greenfield, yeah. And it's actually, he does a, a really good version of it. It's actually a really good song. And I just found it funny that, oh, they... They bumped this one? They bumped this one? <laughs> exactly. So then... You can't do that. It's too rock and roll. That's not your style. You have that, which I think is a mistake. He did this. He, did, you know, to, first of all, to have a single, it, it strangely worked out because "Don't Give Up on Us" did become a hit single on its own, and then people would buy the album. But then you have to change. You have to do a whole new pressing with whole new uh, song. Yeah, you gotta have that single on the album because they're, they're a lot less likely to buy the album. Uh, without the single on it, then uh, that's a lot of uh, vinyl you're not. Right. I mean, it's not. It's hardly ever done by the by 1975, 76. It was a, when singles were very popular. It was done a lot. The Beatles did it all the time. The Stones did it. Everybody did it at some point. Usually, the British acts did it a lot, releasing singles that weren't on albums. But by seventy, by the mid 70s, when albums were king. Uh, it was almost suicide not to have your song on the album because that's what kids would buy their album. The album for was that sometimes they only buy it for that one song. So, okay, they they did well with that. It, it worked out. But then they do his second album, which is uh, playing to an audience of one. I kind of understand the title. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to get that. In. Um, they release another single that's not on the album. Uh, before the album and I don't understand so they did it a third time with his third album in 1979 they released another single that's not on the album talk about suicide uh anyways the third the song that was released all by itself before the second album this gets complicated so I hope nobody's losing me here playing to an audience of one is included on the new version of the David Soul album. Of the original album. The, first the original album. album. So you get the first two singles that were released by themselves now on, on David Soul's album. On the second pressing of the, the second album. album. Now. Yeah. Album. So there's three versions of it. Uh, and now there's no more One More Mountain to Climb unless you get the original version of the album on record uh, from 1976. It's completely gone and it's one of the best songs on the album. Whew. Let's move on. Okay, now, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear because uh, I listened to all the songs because, you know, I just I just did. You got to know. I had to you know. You got to know. I had to know. Now, the thing, the thing about David Soule, he was uh, born in 1943. Um, 
is that there's a couple things I have to give him credit for. And that was he started as a singer. And that was what he wanted to do. And he actually appeared many times on the Merv Griffin show in 1966 and 1967. And he would sing while wearing a mask because he explained on the show, my name is David Soul, and I want to be known for my music, not for my appearance. Now, I like that because it shows that you're really taking your music seriously. I don't know what songs he was doing back then in the mid-60s, but I like that. Probably hippie music. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I li- hey, did you, you listen you to the first, album? You first have to be hip to do hippie music. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then he kind of got into acting. Like, if you're in Los Angeles and you're trying to be a singer... Uh, and you're a good-looking guy like David Soul. well, sometimes you get asked to auditions, and he did, and he started to get television roles and, you know, movie roles, and and then he became an actor, and then once he became, of course, the type of actor that he was, almost as soon as Starsky and Hutch became a huge hit, it was like, I want to make an album because that's kind of what I do. So I like that part of it, Uh, and he, you know, he made this, he's made, he's he's actually made a, a... like I said earlier, he's made like four albums throughout his career, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for a guy that doesn't sell a lot of copies, especially in North America, you're, you're pretty dedicated because a lot of that time you're spending your own money to make the record. And uh, But he lives now in uh, Britain. He actually has British citizenship now because I don't know exactly why. Um, I do know that his albums... And music have sold much more in Europe and in Britain, to be uh, to be more exact, than they ever have in in North, in North America. America. In North America, huh. he had this first album. He had "Don't Give Up on Us," and then he was gone, basically musically. But he's always had a following in Europe. Um, so, and I think that had to do. He did a lot of stage productions in Britain. So he lives in Britain now, and he has for quite a while. Uh, in 2004, actually, so almost 20 years now, he obtained British British citizenship, and he lives in Britain, and all power to him. It's a great place. And um, but that's I, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was interesting that he started as a singer. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a successful star. How about making an album? Kind of well, like Burt I Reynolds. think I'll try an album. Yeah, exactly. This is what he wanted to do in the first place. This is why he went to California. Acting was, to be was a distraction for him. What did you say to me? Maybe you're a distraction. <laughs> Sorry, I did that on purpose. Sounded like I was coming at you. Um, so now let's get to the album. Uh, I just have to say before we get to the album, Rob, give me a second here. I thought, I oh, really I thought that when, when we started this theme, it would be fun. It would be fun. <laughs> 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 I, really, I really thought that we were going to have some laughs and the music would be kind of jokey and uh, this has uh, not been fun. <laughs> <laughs> this has been... Uh, I, I gave this album two listens and the second listen I did one side at a time. Did you? I, 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 it's so funny because I could only give it two listens. And that's, <laughs> that is pretty weak for us. It is. Yeah, for usually, each of us to I only wanna, give it to, yeah. I want to see if the album's going to grow on me and that's, you know, three, four, five listens and... Uh, I did it. I did a. I did a trick the other day, which Rob taught me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> With uh, when I went through a very depressing Captain and Tennille period in my life, and it worked wonders. I had, if I wasn't listening to the album, which I did a couple times, I was doing research on the album. So I, you know, I get pretty immersed in an album for a week. Because I have a lot to read about and I have to do this and that. And and if I don't listen to an album a lot, I, this is what the least amount that I listen to an album is twice. I still might listen to a couple songs here and there to remind me of, you know, if I, if I heard something. Anyways, it pretty much encapsulates me. But this really got me down, just like the, not as bad as the Captain Tennille. And I, uh, the other day I put on a Gordon Lightfoot record. <laughs> oh my God, it, I swear it sounded like angels. <laughs> So that's what these notes are supposed to sound like. It was like, oh my God, this is what songwriting is. And this is what singing is. And when you spend a couple of weeks, and I don't want to, I don't want to 
harp on David Soul because I like him. I like him as a person. I like him as an actor. You got to respect him as a, an artist. I do. I also respect that he wrote, along with his writing partner, uh, uh, one third of the songs on this album. I give him kudos for that. I give him kudos for for playing guitar on most of the songs. He plays acoustic guitar on almost all the songs on this record. Uh, um, but then you hear like Gordon Lightfoot and it just blew me away because I love Gordon Lightfoot. Everybody in Canada loves Gordon Lightfoot. The Gordman. And he is just, and I just listened to his album and I was just in awe. And every time, he's the only singer, and I have a lot of singers that I really love, singer-songwriters, but he's the one guy where almost I could hear a whole album and I'd say, I wish I would have wrote that whole album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it really brought me back, not only to hearing after a couple of weeks of hearing not very good music to finally hearing some good music and grounding me and it also gave me a, a good indication of what I had just been listening to for the last week. Um, okay. I did point out yeah. the good things. I did point out like he plays guitar and wrote a, th a third of the songs. Uh, this is uh, this is not simple. You would think that an album that I really don't like is simple but there there are reasons because just like the Burt Reynolds album we did last week, there's still something in there that if I was producing it, and it seems so obvious to me, I seem like some sort of wizard, but I'm not. But it, it, it maybe it's just from years of listening to music that it's obvious to me what the problems are. One of the problems is um, David Soul singing, which unlike Burt Reynolds is never off key but it's extremely weak. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely got some hit or miss in it. Whereas uh, some of them I found he was singing okay. No, the, the singing ranged from good to okay. That's what I found. Yeah, there was some. There's a song like "Don't Give Up on Us," which really fits his voice. Yeah, but you're finding because his voice is so high, and and let me point out that I don't mean this to David Soul as as a person. It's it's, but. <clears throat> His voice sounds wimpy, which means it's really high. Yeah, when he was hitting uh, the, the, the sixth song there, I seemed to miss so much, the Coal Miner song. When he was starting to... Um, I like that song. <laughs> That's one of the one of the songs I liked. I did like <laughs> the writing in that song. Mm -hmm. But uh, the singing there was good during the, uh, the softer parts, but then it was bringing up. He was uh, clearly not hitting the... Uh, You're right. Hitting the notes, and that's weird because... And if he did hit the note, it'd be too high. Not that it was too high, but it, it was... It was, weak. it was weak. He was weak. hitting the notes, but it was weak. It was weak. He does not have a strong uh, You could not for... see him singing rock and roll music. Yeah. Because there's no way he would be... First of all, there was no way a band would have him singing rock and roll music. And if he recorded an album singing rock and roll no. music, they wouldn't release it. If they had him, they, they could definitely have him as a backup vocalist. Yes. Just fine for that. And again, but, uh, we're not criticizing... Uh, like we did Burt Reynolds, where all of it's off-key. We're criticizing that... He's on key, but he's weak. Yep. And he's wimpy. He sounds wimpy. And that's another... What That leads into the next problem is that the production, which surprisingly is produced by Elliot Mazur, who who is known for producing uh, a couple of uh, Neil Young albums, uh, most notably the trillion-selling uh, Harvest album. Um, I guess Elliot Mazur... Like, you're working with, a, you're working with an artist that probably knows what he wants, which is like, let's make it pretty middle-of-the-road, syrupy, sappy. So you got to you gotta do what the artist wants. You, you got to go where the artist guitar. is good at, right? Or yeah. what the artist is, is specialty is at. There's so many songs where I go, this is not a bad song. And then I go like, uh, what? Uh, what's all the strings? Like, holy smokes, uh, what, what, what song really got to me that had too much? Actually, even the song that... I really liked before, which I thought when I listened to the radio 600,000 times was pretty flawless. Uh, when I heard it, Don't Give Up On Us had way too much strings on it. And it it's a really, actually, it's a really good written song with some really good lyrics. The lyrics are good. And the lyrics are good. And it's actually a really nicely written song. And the only thing I didn't like, it, it's one of the few songs that fits David Soul's voice on this album. And... I just thought that they overdid it with the strings, and uh, maybe at that time that was that was okay. But in this day and age, it didn't. It's still an it's still uh, a great song, but it's just a little bit overdone. I would have I would have cut back on that. There's a couple of songs that 
Seem to Miss Me So Much, which is one of my favorite songs, written by Bruno Kirby, of all Bruno people. Bruno <laughs> Kirby, that catch me off guard. Uh, if you don't know Bruno Kirby, he's an actor. He's he passed in, away, uh, unfortunately. He uh, City Slickers. He yes. was in When Harry Met Sally. He was uh, absolutely great on the Larry Sanders show. He was, on, he was great on the, the Larry Sanders show. Always got bumped. <laughs> if you remember Bruno Kirby being the, if you can remember him being bumped all the time on Larry Sanders, yeah. that was that was his best because he's always getting mad. And then they try and make it up to him on the final show. Right. <laughs> and then they bump him. Oh, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. He played the nemesis to That's Robin right, Williams. Robin Williams. He was Good the, Morning uh, Vietnam. And a lot of people will remember him as the young Clemenza on The Godfather Part 2 with Robert De Niro in uh, not Godfather Part 1, you know, where Clemenza was fat and he said, get the cannoli. No, he played the young Clemenza, which was really good. It really started his career. You remember him from like a dozen roles, but he actually writes one of the best songs on his album until it gets a little bit too, and like you said, it changes a little bit and it goes out of David's vocal range. Yeah, when when it picks up uh, the, the, the... Volume-wise. Right. Uh, but it is actually... That was one of the songs I was singing. Oh, you know, it starts off so well with just the guitar. David Soul's guitar and him singing. And then it gets all mushy and I'm going, oh, you ruined it. I can I can hear it. I can actually... And it bugs me sometimes because I'm no guru, but I know enough about music. This is why I have the show that I know enough to know that, oh, you fucked it up. Like, yeah. if you didn't put all that stuff on there, you had a really great song. By contrast, Gordon Lightfoot, uh, what he was doing was not too dissimilar, but he didn't uh, he didn't uh, overlayer all the, uh, didn't mush it up, didn't syrup it up. It was uh, a big part of his thing uh, was to uh, put enough instrumentation on the song to not just make it sound like an acoustic song, but not to over gush it, as you say. And, yeah, uh, the, that's a, a huge difference. It's a huge difference, and a Gordon Lightfoot treatment on a couple of these are so wanting. Um, you know, seem seem to miss me so much. Is actually, I think the other than "Don't Give Up on Us," the best written song on here, and they just fucked it up. Um, I don't like. I don't like again. Uh, what uh, what don't I like? I got a couple of beefs that I got to talk about before I hand it over to Rob. I got one, one. I don't. I don't. I don't like this old fashioned. Uh, this is 1920s. 1927. I don't like that. I just. I. I. I just. Trying to reencapsulate the music of of the 20s uh, doesn't do anything for me. They do it. Try David tries to do it twice with Hooray for Hollywood, and 1927 Kansas City. The guy who does it really good. He doesn't do it often, but my hero Harry Nielsen does it, and he actually does it well because he puts a lot of wink and a nod to it, <laughs> as they used to say. And uh, other than that, I it, it it never does anything for me when they try and recreate the music of. The 1920s, where they're, hey, baby, it's 1927. I have something in my pocket <laughs> for you. It just doesn't do anything. And it, it really throws the, the the album off course. They do almost, David Soul does the, almost the impossible, which he does a lifeless and lame version of Burn on a Wire. Burn on a Wire, that's the one that I really want to complain about. And... Uh, I thought it was uh, too up and bright for the uh, the subject matter. Oh, you're so right. It was first of all, this song it needs to be sung solo. This song is sung and it's been covered a hundred million times. It's it's it was as as popular as Hallelujah is nowadays as a Leonard Cohen cover song. Bird on a Wire was kind of like that before Hallelujah was written. And it's been covered a million times. I'm familiar with the, his version and the Joe Cocker version. And the Joe Cocker the version. There's a, I know the Tom Cochran version from the with the Empton Symphony Orchestra is oh, yeah. an amazing version. And uh, there are you can almost do no wrong with this song because it is so brilliantly written. And the lyrics, as with any yeah. Leonard Cohen song, are brilliant. The They're poetry. And yet he he fucks it up. And he fucks it up just what Rob said. He puts strings on it. He overdoes it. He sings it to too much emotion. And he has a, a women's chorus singing with him. The song is about a guy being isolated. He's a bum. And he's trying to find his way on, on, in the world. You don't have people singing it with you. This is a song about solitarism. Yeah. This is a song about being alone in the world. You don't have somebody singing it with you. It's almost... 
rule number one about covering this song. He does all these things and it's lifeless. It absolutely almost sounds like a bad song, which of course it's not. It's one of the best songs ever written. So that's a pretty harsh stroke against him because it's hard to do a bad version of Burn on a Wire, (laughs) but he did it. It's almost forgettable. It's almost one of the worst songs on here, and it shouldn't be because it's Bird on a Frickin' Wire. <laughs> uh, you got a couple of not terrible songs, but unforget, not but forgettable, which are Landlord, and which the song, uh, I don't know, it's just, I don't even remember it. Ex Lover, yeah, Topanga. Uh, Topanga, I kind of liked. Did It had a bit of a okay. feel to it. I thought it had the right amount of production to uh, for its nature. Like I did somehow, it did somehow, it gave me Glenn Campbell vibes. I don't know why. Oh, really? Well, it should. If it does, it's a good compliment because I love Glenn Campbell. And his records have the right amount of strings and, and feel yeah, to it. Yeah, the right balance to it. I think Glenn Campbell is, is, when it comes to this type of music, is the king. Like he can, he never makes, he tries to make things not too sentimental, tries to make it a little gritty. And I think that that's what, a lot of artists try and strive for, but miss totally. Yeah, that's what I got sound-wise. Uh, lyric-wise, I, I didn't... Uh, it was okay. It was okay. Black Bean Soup? Black Bean Soup had a, did a bit of charm to it, but I think I'd get sick of it after three lessons. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with what you said exactly on that. I'm not even going to repeat it <laughs> in my own words, because exactly what I would say about Black Bean Soup. And uh, he does a kid's song, which is uh, actually not irritating until the end. When they do the la la la, yeah, la. when they all start yeah. singing the that's uh, uh, Christopher David did. That's uh, typical of the album to kind of ruin the song. And um, so before I hand it over to Rob, I said almost everything I wanted to say about this album. I think uh, would have liked to have one more mountain to climb on it because it was the only thing that had a, even a resemblance of balls on the record, and they took it off. Um, I don't know. I've been going between giving it no stars and giving it a star and a half. And I'll I'll be generous and because there is some good intentions on this record. Like with Seem to Miss So Much, who knew that Bruno Kirby would write like one of the one of the two best songs on the record? <laughs> yeah. And it really is good. And it, it would, if it was produced properly, it would have been one of the highlights of the record, uh, sound-wise and uh you know, I like Don't Give Up. So it's not a total bomb. So I will give it a star and a half. And just like I did last week with Burt Reynolds. Geez, I hope next week is not so bad. But I got a feeling it's going to be. <laughs> Neither of us have listened to it, have we? No, we haven't. Okay. Yeah. Surprise. So what do you think, Rob? I mean, we've got a lot of your opinions already. But was there any, any more you wanted to say? I found the songs all to be memorable. And even with only two listens, I kind of remembered uh, the subject matter and what songs they were. So it kind of has that going for it. And the other thing I thought was unusual was the songs that he wrote. Uh, I thought he he did those a little better than the cover ones. He did. You know... He got a bit more... That's why Rob is on this show. Because he points out things that I think about, but sometimes... They can't put out. all. They can't put all out. in in whatever thing I'm saying. What I did want to say is what you said is that you know what he's not a half bad writer. In fact, he, the song Christopher David is actually a really nice kid song until the end when he kind of screwed it up, and he has a knack for writing kind of uh, just very pleasant songs. He wrote Topanga, which is uh, uh, a, one of the highlights of the album. And really, it's it's kind of like the the ones that are really atrocious are the really the ones that the he didn't covers write. ones. Yeah, when yeah. he tries to take on the character of the uh, the other side. Yeah, the ones where he's writing them, he can take on those characters really easily because he knows where they're coming from. I think. Uh, so I, I wasn't as harsh. I thought it wasn't uh, too bad. But it certainly wasn't uh, something all that great. My sister had this album. That's why I, I am familiar with it. It is the sister this, album for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this one, it, uh, it's got some sap to it. It's got some... Uh, the, the, uh, the younger ladies will appreciate it more. Uh. The younger, no, it is. It is. Sometimes you're not looking at the right audience, right? When you're yep. playing it to us or whatever or to some other people. If you're like into Black Sabbath and you're listening to Dark Side of the Moon at that time or whatever and you give them David Soul, they're going to say hey where's we got a new Frisbee man that's cool 
but that's not meant for them. No. David Soul <laughs> wants to play a, a more middle-of-the-road mainstream music. And is it fair that we were... Well, well, yeah, we have to review everything. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's our job. But this is not meant for us. It is meant for your sister. <laughs> and I don't mean Rob's yes. sister. I mean everybody's sister. Everybody's sister. It's, it's not one for the fellas. <laughs> and I think the thing that I really want to get this point across is that he's got a weak voice. And that is really what sinks this album. If you yes. take away the, the bad, even if you take away the bad production and the overdone strings and all of that stuff, if he had a deeper voice, uh, I still think that he would not get a record contract if he was not David Soul because of his high voice. It only suits mushy, sentimental music. Yeah, and I, I found it was hit or miss in that uh, there was some stuff that uh, his voice was very well suited for and other stuff where it wasn't working for it. Uh, yeah, if I'm listening to an album, I expect to hear it uh, working on everything. It worked very well. Like a song when he's playing basically the acoustic guitar, like Christopher David. Yeah. He actually sings that very well. He actually sings his songs very well because I think he writes it more in the key that that he's adjusted yeah, to. Yeah, that and the, the, when you're writing songs, I think you go through them a whole lot more than when you're doing a cover. Right. The covers, you think you can just count, count on your natural talent and pull them out once or twice and uh, count on your love of the song to get you through. And sometimes, uh, you know, if you're a really good musician, it's a more, lot more likely for that to happen. But if you're not uh, a playing everyday experienced musician, then... Uh, you kind of got to get lucky. I would, yeah, you're right. And I would like to have heard David Soul if he had, well, maybe not, but maybe I would appreciate him more if he had constantly worked at his craft from 1967 yeah. to 1976 instead of being diverted to an actor, which, of course, gave him a living and everything. But he might have been different. Uh, and he might have had a lot more uh, experience and everything. And it's kind of like... Well, I took six years off to being uh, an actor, and now I got a chance to make a record. And it's like six years is way too long, and I don't know. It's just I still get that feeling if it, if there's no way that he would get a record contract if he was not David Soul. Yeah, plus musicians, that's the one thing they concentrate on pretty much all the time, whereas he still had acting stuff to do, so... Yeah. The music uh, was going to be a secondary thing. I still say... I will stand by this and I still say overall this is a terrible record and I know that we've made some points about it like this but the points that I was making is that yeah if this wasn't on there and if this wasn't on there that would be good. but all that stuff <laughs> yeah, is on there is and on David's there. voice is on there and too judge high it for what it and is, wimpy damn it. <laughs> and this music this album is a wimpy wimpy album and so I have to give it uh, a star and a half and say which is terrible I think it's a terrible album I'm just gonna before I get your rating this abused me to no end first of all all music which didn't even write anything about it so I don't know if they listened to it but the all music website gave it four stars out of five eh, you should if you want to uh, see what I just did oh you know what <laughs> It was reviewed by somebody's sister. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been, but they didn't. When you don't hear, when you don't actually get a word, uh, you just get the stars. And you, you don't get, get the a, stars. You don't get the actual words that they huh. put to the review. I think a lot of times they maybe they don't listen to it, or some just one guy. But anyways, I was surprised. And then on all music, they also let the uh, um, people who read it review put their reviews in the reader review and they didn't you know their user ratings there was 40 people who rated it and they they only gave it two and a half which i was surprised because almost all records usually get three and a half to four stars at least no matter how bad it is but this only got two and a half and only one guy wrote in about how he felt about the record and he gave it a half a star and he said this record is quite bad all that needs to be said. <laughs> That's my final review of that album. Uh, so, Rob, you didn't give it any stars yet. What, what's, what was your ranking? I put it as high as a two because uh, I wouldn't begrudge that. There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> nothing on it really bugged me. I just thought it could have had uh, more. Uh, more balls. Yeah, and some of the song selections. Uh, the, the, 
I question. Yeah. But uh, overall, I thought, uh, yeah. Half the stuff he sounded not bad on. See, that's where I disagree. You're allowed to hear opinion, obviously. But I just want to say that I think that's the point that I really draw the line on in that I just found it wimpy. Not not only music wise, but we're taking that away. But his voice wise, on almost everything, everywhere. sounded so high. Yeah, I see, mean, I don't dispute that. But I thought it worked on half. Oh, on okay. Half the yeah, stuff okay. That, uh, yep. But yeah, this uh, album did not make me angry. Um, it just uh, there's not much there for me. This was not a Captain and Tennille. This did not make you mad. <laughs> no. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> I have to agree. This is actually uh, uh, a record where you go, you know, the guy can play guitar. The guy writes songs also. You can't begrudge him that. You can't hate this. You can't hate this record. It's not It's not uh, a record that demeans the public at all. No. It's, it's, it's trying. He's trying in his own way to make an album. It's just that somebody should have been there like me. <laughs> To say, too many strings, not in your key, let's put it down a little bit. I'm telling you, I could have made this a three-star record, <laughs> at least. <laughs> I say that about a lot of stuff, though. But I'm telling you, if I would have tried, I listen to music. I think Rob does, too. Like, people who listen to music a lot, especially when you play music and you have to decide how your own music sounds, you kind of know you that what's working and what's not, and yeah. what to what to put in, what not to put in. If and I'm telling you how many records I've listened to. Burt Reynolds was a good example where I was going, "Oh, if he just would have done this, it would have been a good song." And I this is I was doing this through this whole album. I was going like, "Oh, if there's just, I know that don't give up and I sold like five million records, but if he didn't have as much strings, maybe he could have sold eight million. And um, that was my big complaint is that. That, none of that worked out. It was still the record, and it was not embarrassing because it's a pretty gutsy move. And he made four records, which means they wanted him to make three more after this. It's just not my type of music. It's uh, I don't like singers that sing that high. No, it's wimpy, and I don't like wimpy it's, music. And that's the one thing I decided early on. This is not the style of music that. Uh, this is the style of music that drove me away from listening to music when I was young. Not listening to music overall. <laughs> you're, like you're, you're like everybody's sister's music. You think, yeah, they, it was just the type of music that did made me move on to other music. <laughs> made me decide that I didn't this like music this music towards other yeah. types. Of oh, music. you know what? This music, I don't like it. But now I can look at other forms of music. <laughs> <laughs> if this is bad, then there must be good by contrast. I want to really quick, very quickly end this by just saying a couple of people who played on this record, because these are not uh, uh, bad musicians who play on this record. Merle Saunders plays organ on this record, and Merle on a couple songs. He plays it on Black Bean Soup. He played with uh, Jerry Garcia a lot of the time when Garcia was taking breaks from The Grateful Dead, and they made some great records together. He's a well-known uh, was a well-known uh, organ player and jam musician, and he plays on this record. Um, Nicky Hopkins plays great piano on Ex Lover. Uh, he actually, that's that's the main part of, you know what we think of Nicky Hopkins on here? I think he's the best session piano player of all time. And he plays on this record, including being one of the best session players, period, of all time. Uh, he's definitely the best keyboard uh, session player of all time. And uh, yeah, Norton Buffalo plays harmonica, uh, who was unknown at the time, but became known for his blues harmonica playing. There, there is some big name. Taj Mahal, of all people, plays mandolin and acoustic bass on a song. And Taj Mahal is famous, of course, for playing the blues. And, and ain't that a lot? And, uh, oh, Karina. I love that song. <laughs> ain't got Karina. Ain't got nothing. You know, I can't sing it, but. Taj yeah. Mahal. So there we go. Uh, when you were talking about Procol Harum earlier and how the, uh, the keyboard player got credits because of the party, and I, it just got me to think of Nick, Nicky Hopkins and uh, <laughs> how, how many, uh, if that were a standard legally, he would have gotten oh, credits. You know what? So That's a whole other subject because we could talk about that seriously for at least a half an hour about him coming up, which is one song I can come up with right off the top of my head. He came up with the piano part for She's a Rainbow. Just him. They said, can you come up with a piano part? He came up with it. And that's the whole song. Did he get credit for it? 
No. <laughs> you know how many parts that he came up that made the song what it was? Probably about a hundred times. And that's why everybody wanted Nicky Hopkins on their record. Uh, the best thing that I've, has ever happened, I should have said this on the 150th show instead of the 150th, but the best thing that's ever happened on this show was when we reviewed Nicky Hopkins' debut album, one of his only two records that he made, The Tin Man Was a Dreamer. We gave it uh, a very good review. I think we gave it like three and a half stars. And uh, I got a letter from, not a letter letter, but an email from... Nicky Hopkins' family, who uh, his estate, which was congratulated us on uh, talking about Nicky Hopkins. It's my proudest moment on the show uh, to actually hear back from somebody's family saying, oh, you know, Nicky doesn't get the uh, accolades he deserves. Thank God you guys reviewed his album on the show. My proudest moment on the show. And uh, I think it was damn cool. And Nicky <laughs> Hopkins is damn cool. He is. He's just freaking cool. He's yeah. literally, he played on everything that came out of Britain and the States. Uh, not as much in the States, but he played on everything. He played with the Stones and the Who and the Beatles. He played on Revolution. The Kinks, did he play the Kinks? He played with, mostly with the Kinks and <laughs> on almost everything. When they needed a, a piano player, it was Nicky Hopkins who played on almost everything that had piano on the Kinks albums. We're going to talk about that some other time because that's a whole other subject because you're right. Yeah. I would give him credit on so many songs if I was a writer. I said, you just made my song go out. Of, you just hit it out of the park. How can I not? And you know what they would give him? They would give him like what, what studio pay was. Would be studio like 25 pay. bob or whatever here's the, it was. Uh, here's the uh, 100 pounds we promise you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He wouldn't get anything other than that. That's it. And uh, we're going to talk about that some other time. But that's a great point, Rob. Thank you for bringing that up. So, uh, okay, that's it. That's it. Two stars from Rob. One and a half stars from me. I've given both albums that we've reviewed in our Golden Throat series terrible reviews. <laughs> one and a half is terrible. Burt Reynolds, one and a half. We got David one more to go. And we got one more to go next week. I hope it's fun. Because I know it's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, that's our show for today. We kind of, we were really, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because unless we really go over time, but we hit like the 50 minute mark and we were getting close to the end and then we just got onto other subjects again and we went a little bit over time. But I know people are getting bugged by me saying it all the time. We did we did get under. <laughs> now that we've thing, got man. under a, an hour, I'm not going to harp on it anymore. And uh, unless we go really over time, I'll say something. Yeah, we but from now on, I'm just gonna, we're just going to do the show. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show today, people of Earth. Next week, we will conclude our Gordon... <laughs> Next week... Can we edit that in? Okay. Our Gordon Throat... Next week, <laughs> we will conclude our Golden Throats theme with a doozy, I tell you. This is the one I've been saving till the end, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> I promise you, I do promise you, you won't want to miss this episode. And uh, so until then, everybody, as always, take care and stay safe. Are you a fucking meteorologist? Increased a bit. Oh.